Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I got to sit down with Daniel and Candela. Daniel and I have known each other for a while back when he was CMO of Terminus. Now he's CMO of a very cool company called ReachDesk. But his career has some amazing brands before we get into what he's doing there. Companies like Exact Target, Salesforce, Return Path, Conga. I already mentioned Terminus to you. The space he's in though today is all about creating a human connection. That's his words and that's something that we spend a lot of time talking about. Now that human connection, as he put it, is about putting the right experience in front of your buyer. And the opportunity there is to send a gift. He clarifies a gift and not direct mail. Direct mail is that collateral that you may send. And the gift is the opportunity to really surprise someone and build a relationship. I was fortunate to get a gift from Daniel and his company in the last couple of months. And it's really cool. It's really an experience, as I said before. Now, without a doubt, we still bridge to the importance today of talking about content and the ways to put collateral in front of your buyer that bridge off that first step in the door. This is a great episode to think about the entire buyer journey. Here's my chat with Daniel Ankindel. Daniel, thanks so much for finding time to sit down. I'm so pumped to talk about your journey. Let's start with ReachDesk. This is not your first CMO gig. So tell us how you went about picking the company this time. Randy, thanks for having me. For me, it's every it's all about people and culture. And that's become increasingly important to me as I've gotten older. My undergrad degree is in anthropology, so I've always been fascinated by culture and I've wanted to grow. To, to join a company whose values aligned with how they acted. You know, every company has their values on a website, but I wanted to get to know the company for itself to see if those aligned. And then I wanted to be around a great bunch of people that were passionate about what they do. And I've learned that when you're giving gifts as part of your business, it tends to attract a really passionate group of people. So uh, it's, it's basically like, sign me up. Let's do this. <laughs> That's awesome. I love the connection to what ReachDesk does and how it got you to buy in. It's funny, my grandfather growing up was always about giving gifts in business. And I love the type of connection that you can make by taking that approach. Now, I want to shift a little bit, though, to how you knew this was the right culture fit. And you've been at some larger companies with maybe more established cultures, companies like Conga and Terminus, but you contrast that to ReachDesk, around 200 people when you joined. How did you go about ensuring that this was the right culture fit within the process of interviewing? That's a good point. I I got advice from, from a mentor and mentorship has played such a big part in my career. And that the advice he gave me is that you can never be right, you're, you're going to get in and find something that's off. And so I've accepted that and I've done the best due diligence that I could. A lot of it's an instinct. But ultimately, I want to work with people that I can be direct with. And I expect the same back. You know, I talked about values being important. 
want a group of people that is focused on the people that work there and the culture and, and investing in that. And that's my main guide. We've had a variety of different stages and ReachDesk is actually the smallest software company I work for, lowest revenue company that I've worked for. And I, I was especially attracted to them because I like to feel uncomfortable. I, I like to continually learn. And so I've, I'm a CMO that is doing real marketing work, which hasn't always been the case in previous roles and driving strategy. So I'm enjoying um, thinking about what we need to do in the next 18 months, but also jumping into a Google Doc to help edit a, a press release, you know, everything in between. That. And so I've, I've been energized by this. One, it's, it's great to work with awesome human beings. And I do send a lot of gifts now, and, and there's nothing better than that. But when you're growing and trying to establish the strategy to see if it works or not, that, that is a marketer's dream. And so I've, I've been re-energized in my old age here with having to work probably more than I ever have in my career. It's, it's chaotic, but, but a ton of fun. Huh, that's great. Well, as you know, your team actually sent me a gift in the last month or so, and it made an amazing impression, not just with me, my wife. This box was so elegantly delivered and boxed. The whole thing was truly an experience without getting into the weeds of what was actually in the box. We'll leave the mystery there. But I, I want to shift over to a different word you had in that last answer, and it's the word uncomfortable. So I'm going to transition here to a question that's maybe a little bit uncomfortable, but yep. uh, you said you like an un uncomfortable uh, setting, so we're in safe waters. So let's jump in. My question for you as a CMO is a lot of the CMOs that you hear about today come from more of a revenue focus, maybe even a marketing operations focus, product marketing focus. Your background, though, I would describe more as a creative marketer. I mean, you just said yourself, editing that press release. This is a really important skill, but we're not seeing that as often these days as CMO. So how do you position yourself as the lead creative mind to get the next gig? Well, it does go to the uncomfortable part of it. And as long as it doesn't contradict with living a life that you're passionate about, I think it's always the thing to do. I'm very much an introvert. So public speaking, even being on this podcast right now is not something I would run towards. Uh, but I do it because I want to be challenged and grow. Uh, I would definitely characterize myself as, you know, I think in interviews, you get asked, are you a demand gen or a brand marketer? You know, I, I love the brand side of things. I love the content side of things. I grew up as a digital marketer. I love all those elements of it. I knew that I wanted to be a CMO and in order to be a CMO, you have to be holistic and focus on that. So I do two things, always hire smarter. I always look to making sure that I have an incredible demand gen leader as, as part of the team, because I know that I need to overcompensate in those areas. I've also learned a lot. I feel myself evolving to be more complete as a CMO. And then data is such a hot, hot topic, but aligning yourself to the, the marketing operations or revenue team so that you are getting the data to make insights has been critical to me. I've had to just really work on that to become better and more fluent. But again, it's also about surrounding yourself with really smart people. And uh, I always hire smarter and I always look to hire for my replacement. I really love that. I think you've done such a good job of being self-reflective and aware of where your strengths are and how you need to surround yourself. 
Now, I want to take you, if you will, back on a time machine because I'm I'm looking back at your run at Return Path, which was fantastic. You started there more on the VP of brand side, but eventually built respect of your peers to earn that CMO title. And I'm curious, looking back on it now, who were some of the key people that you had to win over to get that first CMO title? I was given that opportunity because people saw something special in me, which is such a gift. It's why mentorship to me is now so important so I can help others. I think one of my good traits as a CMO is relationship building. And in so much of of what we do in life, but in business as well, is about the relationships you build. Marketing sits at the core of a company. You know, we do work that touches every single team. It's not just how do we work with sales to hit numbers. We do stuff for the people team. We'll do swag for the engineering team. We're we're typically at the center of strategic projects. And I love that. It is an honor to serve the company. It's why I adhere to servant leadership. So relationships are key, especially for a CMO. So you build the relationships so that you can also drive what you think is going to make the company successful. At the executive level, I've learned a lot over the years. I was fortunate return path in that CEO, Matt Bloomberg, is a marketer himself. So he he knew the value of all aspects of marketing, which I got lucky there. But as you learn the role, you understand that you know the, C, the CMO-CRO relationship is critical. But the way you talk about budget, data, and ROI, you have to align to the CFO. That is something I, I learned on the fly. And as I've gone through various roles, I've just learned to recognize that all functions of the executive team are critical. And the CEO I mentioned at Return Path gave me one piece of advice in that said, you have two teams. He said, which one is your first? I said, well, it's my marketing team. He's like, no, your first team is the executive team. Your second team is the marketing team. That really hit me because I realized that, um, one, it, it's about thinking about the company holistically. I'm going to use that word a lot. But it, it also made me realize that marketing can take on so much more than just pipeline or brand awareness. I love that point. And I've heard it said before by their leaders, it's a trap so many of us fall into when we think about the team that we are responsible to. We have to balance at times being the voice of, say, the marketing team and the voice of the organization. And that's the key I think a lot of us forget is part of that CMO is chief and you are a chief of the organization. That's a whole other level of responsibility that we really need to lean in on and embrace. All right. On that note, we're going to take a break here. I want to come right back, though, go deeper into the buyer side, talk about that human connection here on The Marketer's Journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences.
Daniel challenged us there with a very important question. One I think about a lot, who is our team? Who is my team? Who's our primary team, maybe our secondary team? So whether you're a CMO today, thinking about that as a member of the executive team versus the marketing team, or perhaps you're a director level or VP, trying to figure out, am I part of the marketing team or do I have to align with sales? Even if you're a marketer, trying to figure out, am I on the content team, the demand team, the product marketing team? The bottom line is, the more we think about the organization and our ability to work cross-functionally, the bigger impact we can make. The more parts work together, the better that car moves. I always say if you have four people on each wheel pushing that car out of a ditch, it moves so smoothly. That's the same as an organization. We have to realize we're part of various teams and that impact we make can always be smoother working together. So Danielle, I want to dig a little into not necessarily what ReachDesk does, because I, I hate when these podcasts become infomercials, but more so the role of gifting, a space that you're very deeply involved in. And we touched on this a little bit earlier. I have found it to become quite common to receive a gift from a vendor who I'm speaking to. It's almost part of the journey. But I'm curious for you, where does it fit in the journey as a whole? How do we align it with the emails being sent, the content being consumed, where does this fit more holistically? Well, I'm going to take it back a little bit. And I think great marketers are really great storytellers. I think it's fortuitous that I landed at ReachDesk because my background is anthropology. I've already mentioned the importance of culture to me. Every single culture on this planet participates in gift giving. It is very much a human experience that is shared across the world. Gifting it makes sense that we would use that in our space. And gifting is something that, in my opinion, makes B2B more human. And old school gifting, direct mail, was figuring out a campaign you could send quarterly, finding a t-shirt in a closet somewhere, boxing it up, and then taking it to FedEx or something. Such a horrible, time-consuming process. We've evolved, thankfully, and we're seeing as becoming more than just a tool that marketers use. I view gifting now as a, a critical channel for go-to-market teams because it does build on that human connection. And it's not just a marketer trying to get someone's attention so they'll take a call. It's something you can do as part of a customer renewal, someone's birthday, someone that is about to sign and you want to congratulate them. It can also be for an employee that just had a baby. And so what I love about this space is that it's so human and, and, and we're trying to make people feel special and build connections. And we wear that on a sleeve at, at reach desk because ultimately we're trying to make B2B just a more human experience. And oh, by the way, we also believe that gifting helps accelerate that experience. I really like that word of being human because let's be honest, a lot of the channels we use have evolved to become, let's just say, really automated. Uh, email might be the best example there. We can think about marketing automation emails that used to be really well thought out. What are we going to send this week? And then we just built these nurtures. We still think them through, but they're quite automated, if you will. And I, I'd say that's even happened with sales emails. At one point, they were really thought out, and now I get the same automated cadence coming to me. So I guess my question there is, how do we avoid direct mail 
going down that path of just becoming highly automated. There's obviously robust capabilities and platforms like yours, but how do we ensure that the buyer doesn't all of a sudden feel like, oh, it's just my turn to get a gift, not this person actually thought about the gift that I deserve? There are certainly tools and data that we can use for personalization. And I think that serves its purpose well for things like marketing automation. What has really impressed me at at ReachDesk is that the amount of research that goes into a gift being sent, not just on the AE or or the sales dev level, I do. If if I want to thank someone, I'm going through the, the process of trying to find out something about them so I can send them a meaningful gift. Gift is pointless if it doesn't have good intention or thought behind it. And that's how we operate as a company. Not every company do that. And that's why you're going to get a gift that doesn't have thought. For example, I do not drink. I have received so many bottles of wine or tequila that I have then regifted to friends that are very thankful. And so I, I think what we're, we're doing as a company is, for me, it's going beyond what I said about gifting being a human element. It's that we as a company want to be a human B2B company. And for us, it's about delivering these moments that matter, which is our tagline. We want to do that. And we also want to create a better world, which is, sounds super cheesy. But what we have planned for the rest of the year is going to show that that's, that's what we want to do as a company. And I'm really proud to be here. But even taking a step back, if you want to call it direct mail or, or gifting, in my experience as now a four-time CMO, direct mail is one of the highest performing, highest ROI channels that a marketer can use. So if you just want to talk about it specifically in terms of performance and pipeline, it works. We also know that if a salesperson is using it, it's going to accelerate the, the deal cycle as well. For me, it is about that, that human experience. But if you're just talking about it specifically as a, a, a B2B motion, it also works. So sticking on this topic of being human and being personalized, which I couldn't agree more right now, it's the right angle with marketing. What is your advice when it comes to sending a gift and balancing that connection to the company and the connection to that person? So say as an example that we were dealing with someone who is a wine snob, you may want to send them that bottle of wine versus something clever that has a correlation to the brand promise within your organization. How do you evaluate the factors to determine what is right in each scenario? I think it's a bit of all of those things, and it's not a cop-out. You know, one of our values is treat people like people. That sounds basic, but it's, it's so often overlooked, and I think that goes a lot into how we behave as a company. The other thing I'll say is that we have thousands of e-gift card options, and we're seeing such a trend of people choosing to take a gift card to then turn it into a charitable donation, which is something we offer. So we're also allowing people to make the choices with the gift. Again. We want them to have an experience that is meaningful with us. It's not about us getting a reach desk logo on it, so to speak. We want to build a connection with someone. And if it leads to something great, if not, we've at least achieved that part. So, And then you add in the personalization of a, of a gift that is going to make someone smile or show their wife like you did even better. So I think we're doing kind of a combination of those things. Interesting. So building off of that, regardless of whether we connect our gift to the brand or not, what is the best way to ultimately bridge from a gifting experience to show what our organization can do to fulfill their needs? And and just to give you what I'm getting at here, 
At Uberflip, we've been able to partner with gifting companies and our customers very often so that you send out that package, you open it up, you enjoy the gift, but there's a URL that we're asked to go to, and that ultimately has more sales collateral or content thought leadership that ties back to the organization. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned content. Marketing begins with words to me. That's how everything kicks kicked off, regardless of the channel or the campaign and so on. So I think content, just in terms of market strategy, is at the core of, of, of everything. And I think everything surrounds that. I think we saw, especially through COVID, when everything went to these like hybrid type events, the ones that were working where it was, it was more of a human experience, the things that you could use, 3D elements that came as a gift. I think that's the best example and that's you know i did everything from you do cocktail hours to uh cooking classes like all kinds of stuff you know and that is such a good blend of virtual and having real ingredients and things at your fingertips the other things is just really understand the company has to understand that journey that a customer is going through with you and in the past when you look at if you look at when a prospect joins and then sign they have 10, 20 different touch points with you from content to a phone call to a webinar and so on. You know all this stuff. We have the time, which is rare for a marketer, but take the time to take a step back and think about that. And how can you improve that experience for them? They have a day job. They have families. They probably are not aware that they're doing 15 different touch points with us to become a customer. But if we can improve that journey for them so it has moments of joy or they might smile or they might get caffeinated or they might get to donate, you're creating a happier customer. You're creating a better memory for them. And ideally, you're, you're creating a brand advocate. So true. I couldn't agree more. I mean, let's be honest. One of the scariest moments when we make a purchase is the moments right after. You know, We say to ourselves, did I make the right choice? Am I going to end up with buyer's remorse here? And as you pointed out, when a company can validate for me my purchase, the one I've already made, then I'm even more bought in. All right, Daniel, we're going to keep you around one more segment here with some quick rapid fire questions after this break. To Daniel's point, the gifts we send should create that human experience, human connection. But the other connection that's important is a connection to our brand. I personally love when I get gifts and they connect to the brand in some sort of way, even if it's silly. I'll tell you a quick story. One of the silliest ways that we ever sent out swag to a customer was what became very iconic look for the Uberflip brand. It was these pink headbands. And you may have one yourself. You may have seen one on the street before. But what we eventually started to do was send these to our customers as soon as they became a customer. And we would send them a note saying, who else needs one on your team? Often we would get a request for anything from two to 20 more headbands. When we'd send these out, the only thing we asked for in return was a team photo. And we'd get these fun, silly photos with teams gathering around wearing a pink headband in their office. That is that human connection that we're striving to create. It's ways like this that allow us to pull together with our customers and elevate our brand and the connections out in the marketplace. All right, Daniel. So my first question for you here, if we look back at your career, you talked about coming from a focus on creative and having to adapt. 
When you look at the next CMO on your team today, do you think that they have a specialty or do you think they're taking more of a tour of duty as a generalist? I think it's generalist. I, I would go a tour of duty. You still have to have a strong understanding of all areas of marketing and be able to communicate that up to a CEO or board. So regardless of someone's role on that tour of duty, I'm curious, what's one thing that you wish every marketer did more on a daily basis? I'm going to say talk to the sales development team. They are the front line of everything we do on the go-to-market side, and they hear all of the feedback. Gotcha. So I'm envisioning an SDR, BDR type of individual. And I'm curious, what are the tidbits that you're looking for in terms of feedback that you often find you can work into marketing? Well, it's a tough job and it's the inbound that are, you know, getting the interest and then outbound. It aligns to everything we do at marketing. It's the content, it's the messaging, it's whether we're, our ICP or TAM is correct. If we're targeting the right people through ABM, it's all of that. So for me, that team is, is our own internal focus group. I like that way of framing it. So another area we got to talk a lot about today was the role of content. And I'm curious what content is it that gets you to click through these days? What content is just most appealing? Certainly content that is authentic. I can spot B2B content a mile away. So I like, like the teams that are thinking more creatively and, and trying to have their own voice. But I often look at B2C brands to really get good inspiration because I do find B2B content to be a little stale. Very true. And I really like that line of being able to spot it a mile away. Uh, we need to have our content feel more human. And that's something we talked a lot about today is this idea of being human. It's been the theme. So with that, maybe one of my last questions here is how do you find balance to be human, to break away from the CMO roles and set boundaries for personal time with family or just for yourself? It's certainly been a challenge that reached us because we are such a global company, so many different time zones. 80% of the marketing team is in Europe, which is a big switch for an American CMO. So certainly being respectful of their time zone and mine. Uh, family is everything to me. So I, I walk off time so I can be in the moment. I'm also detaching from my phone when I'm at home so that I can be more in the moment. And then... Um, I also need to have fun. So like, I need to invest time, whether it's reading or writing or watching movies that I want so that I can feel somewhat refreshed. But it is, it is hard to do all of that, especially with kids. <laughs> no kidding. Even without kids, it's hard to do all that. Uh, but let's be honest, they add a little bit of fun into the equation at the same time. Daniel, I can't thank you enough for sharing everything today. And for all of you who stumbled upon this episode, maybe as your first of the marketer's journey, check out all of our other episodes because every CMO's path is a little bit different. And yours is probably shaping up all on its own as its own path, its own journey. Hopefully one day you will be here to share that. Until next time, thanks for tuning in and a big thank you to Daniel. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.